Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. If you don't have your Bibles, we have the scriptures on the screen uh, right behind me. And so Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 4 says, says this. It's, it's quite a, a well-known verse, but we're going to unpack that a little bit here uh, today as we, as we go along. So it says, um, Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead uh, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So that's going to be the the verse that we're going to be meditating on here a little bit. But before we continue, um, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why people are fighting for everything these days? Have you noticed? Like people fight over the... The dumbest things, people will fight over them. Have, is it just me? Have you noticed that? Like, I was looking online and trying to figure out why this is happening, and I went down this rabbit trail and realized that there's, there's like a top ten list of dumb things that people fight over on the Internet, and it really gets bad. It gets, like, vicious. And so what I wanted to do this morning is that these uh, crucial issues that are so important in life that we could just kind of settle them here this morning. Sound good? We're going to vote, actually. We're going to vote, because like, I understand, like, digging your heels in for certain things that are like, I don't know, war or politics, maybe religion, things like that that are important, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present to you, I think it's eight things that people are seriously fighting over on the internet that are absolutely ridiculous, but I hope that we can settle those here. You guys good? You guys ready to vote? Okay. Number one, pineapple on pizza. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. So we're going to keep this orderly. So I'm going to say, those of you who think that pineapple should be on pizza, I want you to raise your hand. It should be. Okay. You guys are heretics. Okay. (laughs) How many of you guys think that it should never be on pizza? See how divided this is? It's like half and half. Okay. Next question. Toilet paper orientation. Okay. If you think it should be, so this side, if if you think it should be this side, raise your hand. Okay, okay, if you think it should be the other side, raise your hand. Okay, a few stragglers, a few stragglers, okay, okay. All right, the next question, we'll try to go through these quickly. Uh, G-I-F, how are you supposed to pronounce that? For those of you who think that it's GIF, raise your hand. For those of you who think that it's, that it's GIF, pr- raise your hand. See how divided this is? This is crazy. No wonder people fight. Okay, next one, Star Wars versus Star Trek. Okay, so how many, how many uh, Trekkies do we have here? Okay, how many people like Star Wars? Okay, that was an overwhelming majority. All right, next one, and we're going to really fight over this next one. What color is this dress? Remember this one? Okay, is the dress white and gold? Raise your hand. White and gold. Okay, is the dress black and blue? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. All right, next one, and we'll go through this one quickly because I think I know where you guys stand on this one. Flat earth or round earth? Okay. Please don't raise your hand if you're a flat earther. I will, I, will, I will excommunicate you immediately. Okay, next one, Marvel versus DC. Those of you who are DC, please raise your hand. Okay, those of you who are Marvel, raise your hand. Okay, pretty divided. All right, next one. And this one's like probably the most important one, and I promise you I'll end with this. Some of you guys are new here. Like, are we doing church here? Is this, what, what is this all about? Ketchup placement on fries. Are you supposed to dump them on the fries or, okay, so if you, if you dump them on the fries, raise your hand. 
Okay, if you dip the fries in ketchup, raise your hand. Okay, majority are dippers here. So anyway, okay, round of applause for you guys. Good job. Thank you for participating. So, so while these topics seem, seem trivial, like there's these, these online fights over things that really don't make, make any sense, and we can have a good time uh, over these, but the reason why I bring this up is that, remember last week I was talking about after the Protestant Reformation, the church sort of started dividing into so many denominations that it's really hard to keep track of everything. Um, and so, so many of you may assume that the reasons why the churches were divided into so many denominations was because these issues were very, very important, but they really weren't. The issues that, that have divided the church over time has been issues of liturgy, music style, certain scripture interpretations, governance, finances, the Trinity, uh, how much water you're supposed to use when you get baptized, and literally the church has divided since the Protestant Reformation all the way through our present period of time. And so the reason why I bring this up is because I was talking about the movement that we are a part of. So we're part of the Protestant uh, Re Reformation. So we're, we're Protestant. Like that, that's, you know, part of that. The Catholic Church was divided, Martin Luther, and then we went off into, the, into uh, being Protestant. So that's, that's who we are. Um, but the reason why I, I bring this up is because we are part of a movement within the Protestant Reformation that, that talks about things that should bring us uh, closer together and not so so much divided. Because here's a question I want to ask you. When Jesus returns, how many churches is he going to return for? How many? One church, right? I'm going to, he's going to come back for his church. Okay, which church? The Baptist church? The Lutheran church? The Catholic church? The Presbyterian church? Which church is he coming back for? See, the reason why I say this is because I think that we see walls and divisions where God doesn't see any. In fact, um, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, is Christ divided? Like, is Christ, is, is he divided? So if Christ isn't divided, why should we be divided? Jesus himself says in the, in the prayer that he does in John chapter 17. So John chapter 17, verse 20 says this, my prayer. This is Jesus praying for us, by the way. He's praying for those who will believe, which is us. This is Jesus praying for us. He says this, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe, which is us, in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also um, be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus is praying and he's saying in the same way that we are united, I want for you guys to be united. I want you guys to be, to be together. You see, the problem is when I, when I read this verse, this is why it's so important, is that I think people, many of us probably think that the reason why people, some people don't believe our message is, is because some, there's some big doctrinal issue that they're opposed to, like the resurrection or salvation through faith or the Trinity or the deity of Jesus. Like we assume, oh, maybe they don't believe because they don't necessarily agree with the things that we believe. But Jesus is saying here, he's talking, about, he's talking about the power of unity. He's talking about what happens when a church comes together. He says one of the reasons why people don't believe is why? Because they see us divided. Imagine, imagine someone who, imagine a guy who's been married five times. This guy has been married five times. And then the, the, the wife that he currently has, they're having all kinds of issues. 
And then that man who has all these issues is giving people advice on how to handle a healthy relationship. Like, I'm going to tell you how marriage works, man. And then you look back and you're like, who would listen to this? Like, he can't even get his current marriage together. Why would I ever listen to him? And so the same thing happens with people outside the church. I believe this is why Jesus was praying this. He's saying, you know, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Like, like, like Jesus reconciled us to him. That's our, our message. And then people on the outside are looking in and they saying, man, they can't even get their act together. They're so divided. Why should we believe uh, about the message of reconciliation if they can't even reconcile each other? And so the reason I bring that up is because... We're a part of a movement. It was what I was talking about last week, the restoration movement. And I love that name, the, the restoration movement. And the restoration movement at its heart is not about finding the differences that divide us, but, but finding the common ground that unites us. The restoration movement is not about, about building walls. It's about building bridges. The restoration movement is not about, about digging our heels in, but about finding common ground. That's why we always say every Sunday, we're a church of wide open doors. Wide open doors. And I love that Jesus uses the illustration of the church in Ephesians chapter 5. He talks about, about the church being the, the bride of Christ and, and, and Christ being the groom. Remember we talked about that last week. That our relationship with Jesus is like, is like a marriage, right? And a marriage. How many of you guys are married here? Many of you, right? Marriage, right? Okay. So, so how do you make a marriage work? Okay, one of the things that, that, that will allow for a marriage to, to work is that you decide, I'm not going to die on every hill. I'm not going to die on every hill. And this is so, so important because when we talk about marriage and we talk about the church and we talk about the love for one another, we have to come to this moment where, where we can say that, that our love for our neighbor is more powerful than our love for our viewpoint or our opinion, or our angle. We have to love one another more than our position or the thing that we feel so strongly about. i got to love you more than that. And when we get to that point, we'll be able to understand a little bit more about what this movement is about and what we are called to be as, as Christians. You see, what does this mean? In the Bible... There are essentials. This is what is very important for us to understand. There are essentials, which are the things that the Bible explicitly talks about and demands. Things like the, the authority of the Scripture. The th things like communion. Things like baptism. And there's a, there's a phrase that, that we use. It's called, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, love. So there's essentials. Like, those are, those are the things that that define what it means to be a church. But there are so many non-essentials. There are things that the Bible doesn't talk about. And in those, there's love. So we have to be able to have conversations about these. So this phrase acknowledges that there will be moments when you will get stuck. This is important for us to understand. There are going to be moments where you're going to be stuck. You're going to be like, I don't think the Bible talks about this. Like you're trying to make a decision and you're like, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the Bible talks about this at all. And, and the reality is this. Everything, everything that the Bible says, everything that the Bible says is true. Okay? But not everything that is true is in the Bible. 
Does that make sense before you kick me out? Okay. Everything that the Bible says is true. But not everything that is true is in the Bible. What do I mean by that? There are certain things that the Bible just doesn't address. It does not talk about science, technology, modern political systems, outer space, extraterrestrial life, psychology, mental health, social media. There's things in here that you're like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like the Bible addresses any of these things. And the thing is that some people will have the approach that if it's not in the Bible, that means that it's bad or you shouldn't do it. Okay? If it's, if it's not in the Bible, then you shouldn't do it. Okay, let me unpack that a little bit. There are churches that are non-instrumental churches, which means that there are churches that will not use um, musical instruments. And the reason why they won't use musical instruments is because they'll look at the book of Acts in the early church, and they're not going to find anyone that is playing an instrument. And so the assumption is, since it's not in the scriptures, then we should not do it. Okay? Now, the problem with that is it also doesn't talk about air conditioning. It also doesn't talk about chairs. It also doesn't talk about artificial lighting. It also doesn't talk about a sound system. And the Bible also doesn't talk about non-church stuff like modern medicine. Should we go to the doctor, internet, air travel, food delivery, things that aren't in the scripture. And so the problem is that when we assume that the Bible doesn't mention something and we we say, since it doesn't mention, then we shouldn't do it because there's nothing in the Bible that you can find that will say this. Then if we assume that that means no, that whole concept will break down very quickly. So what happens now is that that is at the heart of so many church splits. And our movement says something very different. It says that when the Bible is silent on a topic... We're not going to speak for the Bible. If the Bible is silent, we're also going to be silent about it. Since the Bible doesn't mention musical instruments, for example, it's okay to have them. It's okay not to have them. You may like them. I may not like them. But there's this space where we can talk about it, and everything has to be permeated with love in those moments. That's why this is so, so important. The things on which the Bible is silent are what we call non-essentials. Non-essentials. And non-essentials are too many to count. There's just so many things that are non-essentials that you're not going to find in, in the Scripture. And so, these are hills that we're not going to die on. Just like in a relationship. We're like, okay, we'll keep the conversation going. We'll be flexible about these, about these things. But there are other things that are essentials. There are other things that, that are hills that we will die on as a church. Not, and that, that shouldn't create a, it, any church splits. What it should do is define what it means to be a church. Um, so what I want to do today is, in the eight minutes I have left, um, what I want to do is I want to talk about one of these essentials. So we have the scripture as the ultimate authority. We have the holy communion and we have baptism. And so what I want to do is I want to I talk about baptism. I want to talk a little bit about baptism. What does baptism mean? And maybe you're here, you've been here for a while, you're like, ah, I already heard about that. I already know what, bapti what baptism is, so I'm going to kind of tune out here for a little bit. But I want to stop you there for a minute, and I want to ask you a question. First of all, how many of you guys have been baptized? Okay, a bunch of you. Actually, most of you, I think. Okay, so if I were to ask you, 
could you articulate the meaning and the importance of baptism? Now, I promise I'm not going to call on you because all, all of a sudden you guys' heart sank. I'm like, oh, he's going to ask me a question. I'm like, I won't. But how many, how many of you would be able to articulate the importance of, ba- of baptism and why you decided to get baptized? Okay, so I'm going to explain it. Because many of you can just say it and know exactly what it is, but, but I want to explain what, what baptism means so that we can, so that we can under, remind, remind ourselves of what this actually, this actually is. So this is one of the essentials. Matthew 28, 19 says, says this. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So as Christians, we're called to do two things. Okay, Number one, to baptize and be baptized. And then number two, to be disciples and to make disciples. And here's the problem. Is that I grew up believing or actually not understanding when the moment of salvation happened. Like, I don't know what it means to be, like, at what moment am I saved? Like, I think I'm saved, but when, when do I, like, no, no, for sure, you know? And I would hear things like, like, Jesus did everything, he died on the cross for your sins. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you need to add. He paid for everything. Jesus paid the full price on the cross for you. You are forgiven. Your slate has been cleared. Like there's nothing that you have to do. And they would literally end that phrase by saying, you, there's nothing that you have to do. And then they would literally right after that say, all you have to do is like, wait. You literally just said you don't have to do anything. And then it was like, all you have to do. And that all you have to do was so confusing to me. Some people would say you have to invite Jesus into your heart. I'm like, okay. You have to do the sinner's prayer. Okay. You have to do a class. Okay. You have to walk down the aisle. Okay. You have to write your name on a thing. Okay. You have to raise your hand. and You have to repeat a phrase after someone. And it was so confusing to me because I thought it was nothing. That seems like a lot of stuff. I would hear other people say, you're going to be saved the moment you really believe. Whew, what does that mean? Like, there are moments when I really believe, but there are other moments when I feel like my faith is a little bit, is failing me a little bit. Is that the moment that I lose my salvation? Is it about what you, what you feel? Then I would hear other people say, you know, the moment of salvation is you're, when you're baptized, you're saved. Like, if you're not baptized, you are not saved. Okay, but that can't be true because, because the thief on the cross, Jesus has the thief on the cross right next to him. And he says that you will be with me today in paradise. He had no opportunity, obviously, to be baptized. What about people who physically, because they're handicapped, they can't be baptized? That means they're not going to be saved because they can't physically do it? Or what if someone says, okay, I'm going to be baptized this Sunday, and they die on Tuesday? Like, what, what happens then? And so I, I kept thinking about that. You know, and see, here's the thing about baptism. Baptism is beautiful. It's important. It's an, it's an essential. It is a mandate. But salvation comes from nothing you have done, but entirely because of what Jesus did for you. So the question becomes then, when is the moment of salvation? Well, the moment of salvation is the moment when Jesus is on the cross and he says those words that I've probably said from this stage a billion times. It is finished. Right, lady? It is finished. That's the moment when salvation becomes available to everyone. 
John, 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So what does this mean? I heard someone explain it this way. We're talking about salvation. How, how does that salvation become available? So the Emancipation Proclamation happened uh, in uh, September of 1862. This was an executive order by Abraham Lincoln during the the Civil War, and it declared that all uh, enslaved individuals um, from the the Confederate part, they were going to be free. So this was a a declaration, right? It was a a declaration. It was a proclamation. It was like, this is it. Like, Like, you're free. He just said, you're, you're free. Like, I decided it. You are, you are free. You can, you can go. You can go. This was not an invitation. This was not a suggestion. This was not a, a proposal. It was a proclamation. What means it, it is what it is. It is what it is. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross for us. He pays for our sins, and he's like, this salvation is available for all. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, which means that this salvation is available for anyone who will believe. Now, when the whole slavery thing happened, the interesting thing about this is that after this proclamation that was issued for all those who were enslaved, there were many who didn't believe. They're like, yeah, I heard it, but it's like, I don't know if this is true or not. And so they had to make a decision in that moment because many of them didn't believe the good news that they had heard that they were now free. In other words, they had not put their faith in what was, had been declared over them. And they stayed where they were in a state of slavery because they didn't believe. So many didn't believe, but others did believe. And those who did believe weren't the ones that were enslaved that said the words, I believe. No, they were the ones that actually put their faith in what they had heard, which meant what? They walked out into their freedom. It had always been available for them. They walked out into it. They said goodbye to their, their slave masters, and they walked out into their newfound freedom. You see, the same is true for you and me. The salvation for all of us is available to you and me today because of what Jesus proclaimed from the cross that was available for everyone. But you have to make a decision. And that decision is not saying the words, I believe. The decision is walking out from your former life of being a slave to sin and walking into this new freedom that is available to every single one. And that moment, what is that? For the slaves, it was walking out. For us, it's walking into the waters of baptism. This is a, baptism is an outward expression of what you believe inwardly. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. I'm going to just say it here. Some of you guys are ready to be, to be baptized. And I know, that he, and here's the pushback that I always get. They're like, Pastor, I don't feel ready. And to me, that's a perfect sign. Because if you tell me, Pastor, I am ready. I got all my life in control. I got all my ducks in a row. I'm like, I don't think you're ready. Because if your life is so perfect, then maybe you don't need Jesus. But when you say, I don't know, Pastor, like I know I'm a sinner, I know I need a Savior, that's exactly what it is. So you walk into the waters of baptism, not to, not to because you cleansed yourself and now you're ready to be baptized, but you walk into the waters of, of baptism because you need Jesus to save you. And then as a result of that, you begin to walk in newness of life. And there's this relationship, just like in a marriage. You know, you get married. And so 
You don't get married, then your life is perfect. No. You get married, and then you start working on this relationship. You start walking. You start doing life together. And it's a beautiful imagery of identifying ourselves with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, 4, I'm going to read it again. It says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So what is this? When we get into the waters of baptism, we are identifying with the death of Jesus and we're identifying with his resurrection. So we're dying to our old self and we're rising again into our new life of forgiveness. Some people believe that since they're not living a perfect life after they get baptized, I literally have had people come back to me. They get baptized and then like three weeks later they're like, Pastor, I don't think it worked. Like I got baptized and then I had a bad thought. I'm like, no, no, no. See, that's not what it is. You're walking into this salvation that's available to you and you guys begin working together, listening to his voice, obeying him. You'll make a mistake. He'll forgive you. You'll do better next time. That's what baptism is is. And just like marriage, my wife and I, we dated for a while, and then we set a date, and we got married. It was great. There's some relationships that you're like, man, you guys have been dating for like what? Eight years? Ten years? I'm like, come on, man. You got to pop the question, dude. Let's make this happen. Let's get married. You know, some of you here, you've been dating Jesus way too long. It's time to tie the knot, man. Let's do this. Let's get, look, let's, let's, let's get baptized. Okay? So I know this isn't for everyone, but I, I, I know that for some of you, you guys just need to make the decision. So I'm going to ask if we could close our eyes here for, for a moment, and I'm going to say a few things, and then we're going to pray. Because maybe you're here today, and it's time. It's time to be, to be baptized. It's not about being perfect. It's about serving a perfect God. It's not about having all your your life together, but allowing for Jesus to put it together for you. And maybe you're here today and you're, you want to be baptized, like you're ready, you're ready to go. And so with your eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you, um, if this is you, maybe, maybe you just need more information about baptism. And I would, I would love to meet with you. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, if you could just pull out a connection card that's right in front of you and just write your name and write your number there and I'll get back to you. We'll talk about baptism. I'll explain everything, and then we'll, we'll schedule it. If you don't have a connection card, that's fine. You can just talk to me or talk to, to part of the worship team, and we'll, we'll set that up for you. So maybe that's you, and, and, and there's, no, there's no use waiting. If you're ready, it's time. This is Because baptism isn't a culminating moment in your relationship with God. It's the beginning of it. It's the beginning of it. It's the biblical way of starting officially your relationship with Jesus. And so we're going we're gonna to pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you because you have invited us and called us to be obedient to you. And part of that is taking our relationship with you seriously. It's being all in, being all in. And so I pray, God, that the people here, they haven't been baptized yet, that they'll make the decision to be all in for you and walking with you. And so we thank you so much for your love and your presence, and we present this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen.